that's okay. All right. So I have a little helper with me today. And uh, we're going to uh, say a word of prayer first. And then we're, he's going to help me for the first uh, couple minutes here. All right? All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to worship together this morning. Thank you for the Sabbath where we can put everything aside and we can just focus on a relationship with you and uh, spend time with you, spend time with our family and uh, growing closer to you. And so Lord, this morning as we talk about uh, heaven, Lord, I pray that you would stir something within us, within our hearts that would help us to long for heaven and uh, to look forward to it and uh, Lord that we would our greatest desire would to be there to, with you and uh, and so Lord we just ask that uh, you would send your Holy Spirit to speak through me uh, this morning and uh, little Caleb here as he helps me and uh, Lord we love you and we thank you in Jesus name Amen <clears throat> all right Caleb had a dream that he wanted to share with you. I believe it's significant here. Can you get close so you can... I wanted to share with you a dream. Hang on. Just on? And uh, let me turn mine off because mine's getting a little feedback here. I wanted to share with you a dream that I had a few weeks ago. Recently, I have been doubting that Jesus was coming soon. For family worship during that time, we were talking about the signs of the times. I didn't think there had been any signs yet, and I was getting discouraged that Jesus would never come. And I began to wonder if Jesus was even real. So I went to bed with these questions on my mind. I fell asleep and had an amazing dream like I, had, I have never had before. In my dream, I was shown lots of bad things it, that happen in this world, like people stealing, kids keeping secrets from their parents, lying and being sneaky. Then I saw a green door and Jesus was holding it open with a smile on his face. I saw my dad and heard my mom and sister talking. Jesus started to slowly close the door. We started walking toward the door because we thought we should walk through the door before he closed it all the way. I woke up and unlike other dreams, I remembered this dream well. It made me think about the door to Noah's Ark and how God closed it and no one could get, no one could open it and get in or out after they had made their decision. It is just like what will happen at the end of time. God wants us to know that we are still on the path of righteousness, my friends. Jesus is still holding the door open for you and me. Jesus showed me that he is coming soon and he wants us to be ready. I fell asleep that night doubting that Jesus would actually come and he gave me a dream that I really needed to 
remind me that his words are true and can be trusted. When I told my dream to my mom and dad, I started crying because I realized that I would never doubt again, and I hope you won't either. So he uh, shared that with us, and of course he started crying, and we did too. <laughs> um, but you know, it reminds me of a text in uh, John 14, 1 through 3, and it says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, that in my Father's house are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you that... Where you are, there I may be, or there, where I am, there you may be also. And so God is telling us not to let our hearts be troubled, but to, uh, you know, to, to remember His promises that He is coming soon. And friends, I'm looking forward to that day, amen? And you know, something, something that we don't talk about as often, we often talk about His second coming because that is the blessed hope, but uh, something we don't talk about as often as is uh, heaven and uh, what heaven is going to be like. And I'm sure there are many different ideas on what heaven is like out there. Uh, there was a survey that was done that was that, uh, where they asked people about heaven and what it was like or what, you know, if, just to tell them what they knew about heaven. And uh, some teenagers, they said, man, that's like pie in the sky, out there somewhere, unreal. I can't even fathom it. Uh, there's a middle-aged woman at a grocery store, and she said, Heaven is a state of mind. It's inner peace. It's a state of calm. A successful businessman, he said, Heaven is my house. It's worth $3 million, and my chariot is my Lexus, and the angels are my kids. A college student said, you know, when they asked him about heaven, said, Are you so out of touch that you still believe in those fairy tales? An elderly couple said, we hope that heaven is a real place. The older we get, the more we long for it, but we just hope that what we were told when, uh, or what we were taught in our childhood is really true. And so, so many people have so many different answers. They have so many uh, confusing ideas regarding what heaven is and what it is like. And so, what is heaven really like? Where can we find valid information about heaven? And why is there so much confusion about heaven? And why all these you know, hazy and, and ambiguous opinions? The question is, is where can we find a key to unlock the mysteries of heaven? Why not look where millions have looked and found reliable answers? Uh, the key is not hidden, and it's as close as the Bible that you're holding in your hands or right next to you. That's how close it is. And so that's why I love this slide here. It's probably one of my most favorite here because it just kind of sets the tone for everything we've been studying over the past few weeks. If it's in the Bible, I believe it. If it disagrees with the Bible, it's not for me. And so anything can, uh, nothing can compare to the truth, uh, with the truth about heaven. And so we start in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. It says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth 
had passed away. And so each of the prophets from Genesis to Revelation pointed men and women forward to the new heavens and the new earth. These prophets, they pointed forward to a new world, a world, without, or a world with clean air and, uh, and clean water, a world free from war and crime and violence, a world filled with love, joy, and peace. The Bible talks about a new heaven and a new earth. It talks about Eden restored, Eden made new. And so think about what Eden may have been like. Crystalline, clear lakes, pure air, bright sunshine, cloudless days. A tree bore lush, delicious, delicious fruits. Flowers perfumed the air. Their beauty was indescribable. All of nature was in harmony. The birds and the animals, they didn't scatter in fear when, they, when the Adam and Eve would approach them. They flocked to them. And there was love and joy and companionship there. There was no taint of sickness. There was no taint of suffering or disease. The Bible says that an intruder came into that garden and he suggested to Eve that sin would bring her greater happiness than obedience. He suggested that disobedience would actually bring her greater freedom. Eve fell for that lie. Adam followed her lead and our planet was plunged into rebellion. The sad drama of sin brought sickness, suffering, heartache, and death to our world that probably everyone in here has experienced in some way. In every generation since Adam, the hearts of men and women have longed for the Eden life to return and to live in the new world free from pain and suffering of this planet in rebellion. Through the centuries, there were men and women that held fast to God. And throughout the centuries, there were men and women who looked beyond what, uh, to what will be. They looked beyond time to eternity. And these faithful men and women, they focused their eyes on another country, another land, and another kingdom. They believed that this earth was not their home. They believed that there is something better than sickness and suffering, heartache and death and disease. One of those men was a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham's vision was fixed on eternity and he set his sight on another world. Abraham focused his mind not on the things of time but on the things of eternity and he dreamed of what it would be. Hebrews 11.10 tells us that for he waited for the city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. He breathed heaven's air and looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. The royal line of faith continued in the life of Moses. Moses was a captive slave in the land of Pharaoh in Egypt. Moses was destined to rule the throne of Egypt. Moses was destined to be the Pharaoh of Egypt. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, 24 and uh, through 26, it says, By faith, when he came to, became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing 
of sin, or the pleasures of sin, passing pleasures of sin. And so sin has a pleasure, but it is temporary. It is short-lived. It leads, leaves men and women broken and bruised and battered. Moses would not enjoy the pleasures of sin, not even for a season. And that's what we need to take away from, from that part is that even though sin may look enjoyable and seem enjoyable in that moment, <clears throat> we need to not focus on, on where we're at in that time, but we need to focus on what God has planned for us in the future. And that if we continue to indulge in that sin, it will keep us from that eternity in the future that God has planned for us. We need to give up sin at all costs. It goes on to say, esteeming the approach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. And friends, we need to look to the reward that God has for us. Speaking of these faithful men and women, women of God, it says in verses 13 and 14, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For, they, for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Although the, war, the promise is afar off, we, like that royal line of faith, we can embrace it. We can cherish it. And we've been saying Jesus is coming soon for probably your whole Christian experience. And friends, He is coming soon. We don't know what tomorrow holds in store for us. It could, ha it could happen in a tragedy where something happened to you and the next thing you know is you're waking up in the resurrection, either the first or the second. And friends, I want to wake up in the first resurrection. What about you? And better yet, I want to be translated. I don't want to have to see death. I want to... I want to see Jesus come through the clouds. I want, to, I want to experience the faith that He's going to give me to endure through till the end. All the promises we can put our trust in and our faith in. Let not your heart be trouble, troubled, friends. You believe in God, believe also in Him and His promises. Friends, this world is not our home. We are just passing through. How many of you remember that song? <laughs> Amen. I, I thought of that song. I had to play it as I was going through this and thinking about that song. And uh, Hebrews eleven sixteen tells us, But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. And so there is something beyond. We are strangers. We are pilgrims on this earth. Everything, it will be made new. Eternity is in view. And the, here is something which gives us hope and confidence. Heaven is on its way. Amen. Hebrews eleven sixteen. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Friends, He has. It is beyond our wildest imaginations. Heaven is a real place, not some make-believe world. That holy city it will descend and the world will be made over. Look at this text here in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. But as it is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. And so no matter what you can imagine about what heaven's going to be like, it's going to be ten times better, a hundred times better. God has something in store for each one of you individually that you can't even think of or can't even fathom. 
And it's going to be wonderful. But imagine the deepest joy that you could possibly have. Heaven's joy is much greater. I remember that day when my, uh, when my wife told me that, uh, that uh, she was expecting the very first day and, and I was going to be a father. Boy, that day was, was so exciting and, and joyful. But it was nothing compared to that day when he actually came into the world. And I was a father for the first time. And I got to lay my eyes on him. Friends, God has something more joyful than even that. Imagine a heart that is at peace and rest. Heaven's calm has greater peace and rest than that. Imagine the most wonderful fellowship, the most open sharing, the most honest communication with friends, God's communication in heaven with us and with those that we love and, that, and fellowship with is closer and even more intimate than that. The book of Revelation, it gives us a description of the holy city that is breathtaking. John was actually given a vision of the holy city coming down from heaven to planet earth. John wrote in Revelation 21 verse 2, Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So who prepared this city? God did, right? God prepared the city. And why does the Bible say it's prepared as a bride, bride adorned for her husband? Because God wants you to know that He's preparing something for you that is absolutely fantastic. More beautiful, more incredible, more marvelous than you can imagine. As the holy city descends to a remade earth, it is most a most festive event in the, in the universe. And the Bible describes that the glories of this holy city in this way. Revelation 21, 14. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were names of the twelve disciples of the Lamb. So who were the twelve disciples? Thomas, who doubted. Peter, who denied Christ. James and John, the sons of thunder. The disciples were common, ordinary men like you and me. They, they were like men and women in our society today. They had their doubts. They had their fears. The disciples, uh, fishermen, a tax collector, and common, ordinary laborers, they had their weaknesses just like we do. They were not perfect. And I haven't met a perfect person yet. <laughs> I look in the mirror and find an imperfect person all the time. These followers of, not supposed to say amen by that, to that, by the way. <laughs> uh, these followers of Christ, though, they, they were people with their faults, just like we have. But their names are on the foundations of the holy city. Why? Because God is saying to us, if they can make it, so can we. If they go in, you can go in. Heaven is not a place for a few super spiritual elite people. It's a place for common sinners who were redeemed by the blood of Jesus. The Bible continues describing that city. Verse 16, it says, The city is laid out as a square. Its length it's, is as great as its breadth. And so there were four sides. Each, sides. each of the sides had three gates. Three on the north, three on the south, three on the 
uh, on the west and three on the east. And so most cities in the ancient world, they had very few gates. In this way, they were able to keep the, uh, the enemy out. But heaven's goal is to get as many people in as possible. And so they come from the north and the south and from the east and the west. But there, the, why are there three gates on each side? Three is a symbol of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all invite redeemed sinners to come. The Father says, come. And Jesus, the Son, says, come. The Holy Spirit says, come. They want everybody to come in, as many as will accept the gift of eternal salvation. God is saying, whoever you are, you can make it through one of those gates by the grace of God. God is saying, I'm not going to build a city with walls. I'm going to build a city with gates because gates are what let people in. And God says, I want to get in as many people as possible. Praise the Lord. Amen. And as he measured the city with the reed, it says that there were 12, it was 12,000 furlongs. And so its length and breadth and height are all equal. The city was square. Uh, a square city is 1,500 miles in circumference. 375 miles on each side. Think of how big the city is. I've heard someone say it's like the state, like the, I think it's the state of Colorado is how big the city is. That's big, isn't it? Man. And, and it's not just, you know, square this way, but it's also height-wise that way. And so just think of, think of uh, something that would be visible from outer space, right? You know, you can, they say you can see the Great Wall of China from outer space, and this one will be much taller, much bigger. It'll be sticking up really high. And so what Jesus promised, friends, will certainly come true because we can believe His promises. In His Father's house, there are indeed many mansions, and He has prepared a place for you and for me. The book of Revelation describes the holy city as fantastically, magnificently amazing. The streets of the city are built out of pure gold. Revelation 21, 21, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. And so why 12 gates, 12 pearls? Well, Jesus is the pearl of great price. And there is no other way to get in except through Jesus Christ. Amen? <clears throat> there is no other name by which we can be saved than Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Jesus is enough to get us through that gate. Amen? How many of you are thankful for that? Thankful for Jesus. Amen? All right. And I'm gonna, I, this subject excites me. Joe said it was his favorite subject, and I would have to agree. This is probably my favorite subject to, to preach on. This is just so much fun to imagine these things. Uh, it goes on to say here in verse 21, it says, And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. You think, well, I've never seen gold that's transparent. That's because the gold that we see today has impurities in it. It's the, imp the impurities that make it the color that we see today. So this is pure gold without all of the, the uh, uh, impurities in there. And so it is like transparent glass. And think of how the, the reflection of those 
would be as the, with the, the brightness and brilliance of God reflecting on that and just, man, beautiful. But God is so rich that He has so much gold, He uses it to pave streets. God is so wealthy. Our God can, has never been found wanting. Friends, He owns the cattle on a thousand hills times ten, times a hundred. And, uh, and so you may not have much here, but God has something for you up there. Something that is absolutely incredible that you do not want to miss out on. Soon the city, it will descend as the capital of this earth made new. <clears throat> and as brilliant as, as this uh, brilliant city, as it descends toward the earth, fire flashes down to destroy the wicked and purify the planet. The surface of the earth becomes a lake of fire. All the reminders of this sin-scarred world are swept away because, uh, and so all the back alleys and the, uh, the penthouses that were uh, where brutality and where vice festered are all destroyed. But after the flames, Revelation tells us that a heaven, a new heaven and a new earth will appear. The new Jerusalem, it settles down on a brand new planet. And this new world, it bursts with life just as the Garden of Eden once did. Its river of life flows crystal clear. The tree of life bears fruit in abundance. Friends, the redeemed will find themselves on solid earth. But it will be a new earth. That's what I'm looking forward to. Amen. This is why the New Testament calls it the blessed hope. It becomes solid, something that we can hang on to, something that won't crumble under our feet. This hope, it inspires our hearts and it lifts our vision. The new earth will be a Garden of Eden restored. And the prophet Isaiah gives us a glimpse of that. Isaiah 35, verse 1. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. Friends, the desert will no longer be a desert. It will blossom with roses. Amen. Songs of rejoicing, songs of gladness. The earth made over again like the Garden of Eden, carpeted with living green. The scenery will be fantastic. The beauty will be unimaginable. The flowers and the trees and the plants will perfume the air with life-giving fragrance. The new earth will be restored. Imagine opening your eyes and it's a great new world. God's world. Imagine breathing air and it's God's air. Imagine drinking water and it's fresh from the fountain of life, directly from the throne of God. Imagine eating fruit and it's fruit from the tree of life. Imagine living in an atmosphere of incredible love. But have you ever wondered what kind of bodies that we'll have in Eden Restored? What will our physical condition be? in this new earth. Some people have the idea that the redeemed are like a spirit, are like spirit beings or some, some cosmic vapor. But that doesn't really make much sense, does it? Others have, have believed that, you know, we're going to be babies again, sitting on clouds with wings and playing harps. <laughs> but let's see what the Bible says. 
I'm a, that's all I'm interested in. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we will also, we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body into, that it may be conformed to his glorious body. And so what did, or when Jesus was resurrected, did he have a body? Yes, he did. What kind of body was it? Well, it was a glorious, resurrected, immortal body. Jesus ate in his resurrected body, didn't he? Right? And there's a number of experiences that Jesus had after the resurrection that reveal that he had a real, recognizable body. The Bible clearly says that we'll be like him. And so when Jesus met the disciples on the road to Emmaus, the Bible says that Jesus kept them from recognizing him at that moment because he had a lesson to teach them. But it says he, uh, when he broke bread, their eyes were opened. They recognized Jesus by his unique mannerisms. Your friends in heaven will recognize you by your unique mannerisms. And on resurrection morning, Mary recognized Jesus when he called her name. And so through the mists of the morning, she could, uh, she could not see him very clearly, but she recognized his voice. Your loved ones will recognize you by the intonation in your voice as well. And when Jesus appeared to the disciples in the upper room, they recognized him immediately. They knew his physical form. Your friends will recognize you by your physical appearance as well. And in the new heavens and the new earth, God will give you a glorious, immortal body. You will have a similar personality to the one that you have right now. God wants to save you. He doesn't want to change you except for getting the sin out of you. You see, if God sent Christ to die for you, then it's you that He wants. Wouldn't it be strange if Christ uh, paid the infinite price to die for you and then totally changed your personality and your physical features that make you unique when you get to heaven? <laughs> but friends, it's your love that He wants. It's your personality and your features that he, he wants. He made you in the womb. He fashioned you and formed you to look like who you are today. Through the unique strains of your personality, you will be what uh, you would have been had the human race never fallen. We will recognize one another by our unique mannerisms, our voice intonations, and our individual personalities. But there will be no taint of sin or disease afflicting you. Here's a, a promise of God. Isaiah 33, 24 says, and the, and the inhabitant will not say, I am sick. The people who dwell in it will be forgiven their iniquity. Amen. Here's another one. In uh, Isaiah 5, 5 and 6, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the tears of the deaf shall be unstopped. And then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb sing. And so God will open the mouths of people unable to utter a syllable now. Their tongues will be loosed so they can sing praises to the Lord. Amen. Think of the joy. Wheelchairs gone. Crutches gone. New life flows through our veins. New life pulsates through our bodies. There's joy and there's happiness 
everywhere. Revelation 21 verse 4 says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. And there will be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Death, sorrow, crying, pain, all of that is forever gone. They're finished. No more will we have to go through that again and experience that again. For that alone, it makes it worth it. Amen? Amen. There is a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21, 22 verse 1 says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, crystal clear, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And so the water of life, it represents the, the life of God that satisfies every need. Just as nothing quenches your thirst like water, nothing quenches your inner need for God like God Himself. Nothing quenches our spiritual needs like God. Verse 2 says, In the middle of its street and on either side of the river <clears throat> was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And as we eat from that tree of life, we become fully and completely made whole. Every bit of mental scarring, because we were in a dysfunctional world, all of that will be healed completely by God. Amen? All of that love we failed to receive now, we will receive then. We will be cherished by God, loved by God, embraced by God, satisfied by God, and God Himself will hold us close. God Himself will whisper in our ears, and we will be fully satisfied. The water of life, the tree of life, will satisfy our deepest ambitions and our inner needs. Amen? You know, I just, I picture when I think of that, you know, the, it says a tree. It doesn't say trees on either side of the uh, the, the river there. So I, I imagine at least that there will be, a, with the tree of life, it will be one tree on either side. Not two trees, but one tree. And so the roots are connected underneath the, uh, underneath the river there, and then they're connected, you know, over on the top. And so the river of life going through a, a hole there of the, uh, the tree of life. And so anyways, that's just what I imagine in my mind. But I'm sure it's much better uh, once we get there. We'll see. Amen. But God will be the source of our inner strength. Listen, look here, Isaiah 40, 31. It says, But for those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Sometimes you feel tired here. Sometimes you feel a lack of energy here. Sometimes you feel weary here. God is going to give you an injection of divine energy. Amen? God is going to hook you up with that divine energy machine. You know what it is? It's the tree of life. And energy will flow through our bodies. Look at how Isaiah the prophet describes life in this new earth. Isaiah 11 verse 9 says, They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, 
for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So all violence is gone. War is gone. Conflict is over. Have you heard that song, gonna ain't going to study war no more? <laughs> I was thinking of that song when I heard this. We're not going to have to worry about war. Study, we're not going to study war no more. We're not going to have to try to figure out how to fight, whether it's against uh, enemies in this world or enemies of darkness. There is no more strife between nations. They will not hurt or destroy. Put down those weapons of war. Every threat of war will be gone. Peace fills the earth, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. I only got one amen for that. <laughs> the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. How many of you want the full knowledge of the Lord? Amen? Me too. <clears throat> Heaven is a real place. There will be real activities. Songs of praise and gladness will cover the earth. Heaven is no make-believe world. Isaiah 65, 17 says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. Friends, I'm glad that there are some things about this life that, will that we will never remember. God gives us amnesia for the evil, amnesia for wickedness, amnesia for sorrow, for disappointment, and amnesia for pain. It is the cosmic amnesia that God gives us. We will forget about the bad things that ever happened to us. Heaven is a place filled with joyous memories. Isaiah 65, 21 and 22, They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Now wait a minute, didn't we have a, isn't God preparing a, a house for us, a, a mansion for us in the city? But you see, that's just, you know, only one part of the earth. Well, the, uh, this says that we're going to build houses, so we're going to have a house in the city and a house in the country. <laughs> Amen? And we get to plant, we get to, to build it. Think of it, the, the best architects of the ages will be there. They will draw the plans for your dream home at no charge. All the most outstanding buildings in the universe will be there and they will be at your disposal. Building materials, sorry, will be there at your disposal. Angels will even help you build your house if you want them to. They will... It goes on and says, They shall not build and another inhabit, they shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people, and my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. How many of you like to create things or build things? Uh, you know, do things with your hands, you know, uh, paint maybe, uh, you know, any of those things. Draw, whatever it is. You know, when you do things with your hands, there's a satisfaction that comes with doing something with your hands. And you, when you step back and look at this creation that you have made. My wife has been uh, enjoying herself. Uh, she's had some therapy. And that therapy has been uh, putting some decorations, uh, fall decorations together. And she's told me how much she's enjoyed doing that. And she's just so excited so if you want to come over and look at some of the decorations she's made, come on over. 
but uh, she's enjoyed doing that. And it's because when we do things with our hands, there's a, a, there's a joy that comes with it. But what about fellowship and friends, right? One of the greatest joys of heaven will be fellowship with our friends. Now listen to this, okay? Heaven will, would be boring if I had my house and nobody else to be there, right? It would be lonely. Heaven would be boring if there was nobody to enjoy it with. Matthew 8, verse 11 says, And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. We're going to sit down with the great spiritual minds of the age. And we get to, we get to talk with them and converse with them. Great God's heroes of faith from throughout all the ages will be there. The Bible worthies we can have that we've only read about and have never met will be there. The reformers that went through uh, the persecution and how God, we can, we can talk to them about how God led them, how He sustained them. Think about what it's going to be like. I'm working in a garden one day and I see a man walking down the street and I say, you know what, hey, that... That man looks like uh, Adam. Is that, is that Adam? And I, hey, are you Adam? And he walks up and he says, yes, I'm Adam. <laughs> Grandpa, great Grandpa Adam. He says, I, and he says, you know, I've been admiring the large ears of corn in your garden. So I say, well, do you want uh, one ear of corn to feed your entire family? I can spare one because it will feed your entire family. Adam looks at the strawberries and he says, you know, I've been admiring your strawberries too. <laughs> Adam comes over and we sit down and we begin to talk about life and we share the joys of Jesus together. And then one day I meet Moses. Moses who received the Ten Commandments written by the finger of God. Moses and I, we talk about what it was like to go through the Red Sea and the faith that it took to walk to, into that water. We talk about what it was like to lead the children of Israel 40 years in the wilderness. Then I meet Daniel. Daniel tells me about the lion's den experience. And he says, and I say, Daniel, were you afraid? You know, come on, be honest with me. Were you afraid? And he, he responds, I trusted God. Heaven is a place of fellowship. Fellowship with angels, the cherubim, the seraphim. Fellowship with the great minds of the Bible, the men and women of all ages. It's a place of fellowship with Peter and with James and John and Paul. But most of all, heaven is a place to fellowship with Jesus. Amen. The best of the best. Because one day you and I will meet the Christ who died for us, who made it possible for us to be there. From all the pain and the heartache that we have put Him through, by the poor choices that we have made in our life, He knew we were going to make those choices and He still died for us. This Christ who had nails driven in His hands for us, this Christ who had the crown of thorns placed on His head, this Christ who shed blood for us, 
one day as we enter into that city, Jesus will be there to welcome us. And Jesus will say, this is your land. This is your home. You will never cry again, never to feel sorrow again, never to feel disappointment again, never to have heartache again. The Bible says, 66, 23, from one Sabbath to another, all shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. They'll come from the north and the south, from the east and the west. They will come to worship Him every Bible Sabbath. I can imagine it. We come there to, to that great heavenly temple and there is an enormous chorus of praise with the heavenly angels singing and all of God's people singing. The angels singing, worthy, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive riches and honor and glory and power forever. The angels are singing, cherubim are singing. The uh, father, he gets up and he introduces the speaker. Jesus stands up. He reaches back and he pulls back a lock of his hair and you see the scars of sin are still there. The marks of sin are the marks that are faintly visible in his hands as well. The faint print of the wound in an ex, is an external reminder of his love for us. And Jesus says, I loved you so much that I went to the cross for you. Look at the beautiful flowers. They're there for you. Take a breath of this fresh air. It's for you. Jesus says to you and me, I want to know you. I want to live with you forever. Revelation 21, verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle is with God, or with the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Revelation 22, verse 4 says, They shall see His face, and His name shall be on their foreheads. Friends, one day, as you're leaving that heavenly temple on Sabbath, Jesus, He stands before you and He reaches out to you. And He says, Ariel, will you take a walk with me? Linda, take a walk with me. Jeff, Will you take a walk with me? Jim? Can you walk with me today? As you walk through the fields of wavy grain, Jesus reaches out. He reaches out and he breaks some of the grain off and he says, taste it. Says Marvell, taste this grain. I knew what you would like, and I knew that this would be according to your taste buds. I made this grain for you. Do you like it? Then he says, Vince, walk over the hill with me. Look at those flowers. Aren't they magnificent? There's no other flowers like them in the universe. Look at the purples, the reds, the blues, 
and the pinks. There's nothing like it in the world. I made a bouquet just for you. And I painted a hillside of it. Tanya, isn't it beautiful? I made them just for you. You hear a chorus of angels sing, and Jesus says, Pam, they're singing that song for you. You are valuable to me. You're precious to me. I would have entered into the agony, into the pain, and the suffering, the sorrow, and the darkness of the cross, if only to save you, Sue. To save you, Shinetta. Brian, I would have gone to the cross just for you. He puts his hand on your shoulder and he says, Della, you know something? I don't have anybody else like you. None of the angels are like you. None of the millions of redeemed are like you. I don't have anybody like you. You are so valuable to me. Because if I lost you, I couldn't replace you. And he feels that way about all of you. Christ came to earth and he poured out all of heaven for you. God's plans for you are far more amazing than you can realize. His plans for you are far more exciting than you can imagine. One day he's going to come. One day you and I are going home. Going home where we belong. Going home where we sense our hearts will never roam and will be with him forever. No sickness, no suffering, no death throughout all of eternity. And we will be friends forever. We'll be with our friends and with our family forever. Believing in Christ, loving Christ, serving and worshiping Christ. I want to play a song for you. It's called The Most Exciting Time of All. But I want you to listen to the words carefully. Okay? Listen to them carefully. Because I believe this is what it's going to be like in heaven. yesterday. Listen, listen to the words here.
joy of heaven's majesty had finally settled in. I set out to find my heroes from the world. To ask them just what life was like in those exciting days, facing lions and the giants of the world. They healed the sick, raised the dead, and saw the dreams of kings. They watched the waters part and turn to wine. They felt the earth tremble with the awesome voice of God, living in the most exciting time of all. They gave it all to Him. They were all in, always faithful to answer the call. They never compromised when life was on the line, living in the most exciting time of all. I wanted to meet Daniel, so I went to look for him. His neighbor said that he would be back soon. Gone to find a hero from the final days on earth When the sun went black and blood replaced the moon When we finally found each other, he was grinning ear to ear I began to see the writing on the wall Wanted to know more about what life was like for me Living through the most exciting time of all He said you gave it all You were all in, always faithful to answer the call You never compromised Life was on the line, living through the most exciting time of all. There was David and Jonathan, Peter, James and John. Everyone I met, it was the same. They wanted me to tell about the final days on earth, living through the most exciting time of all. They said you gave it all, you were all in, always faithful to answer the call. You never compromised when life was on the line, living through the most exciting time of all. We give our all to Him. We are all in. We'll be faithful to answer the call. We'll never compromise when life is on the line. Living through the most exciting time.
guys, thanks for checking out the... We're going to be living in heaven together. Amen. And God wants each of us to be there. He doesn't want anybody to miss out. And think about it, is there anything on this earth that would keep you from being in heaven? And is there anything worth keeping you from spending eternity with him in heaven? I want to be like the song said, going to look for those Bible heroes. Talking with them, interacting with them. I'm going to ask them what it was like. But you know, they're going to come looking for us too. They're going to ask us, what was it like living in the final days of earth? What was your faith like? We're all going to share one thing. We're all going to share one testimony. cord that runs through every single one of us that Jesus gave me the faith to withstand it all. Jesus is the reason why I'm here. They're going to say the same thing. Would you like to say, Jesus, as long as I, I live, or I long to live for you, I long to live throughout all eternity. Jesus, I want to be faithful to you no matter what. Would you like to say that to Jesus? Would you like to say today, Lord, I want to give you my life once again. I want to commit myself to love and to follow you wherever you lead me. Friends, would you like to do that by standing with me? Don't stand unless you mean it. One day soon, we're going to meet in heaven. And I want to make an appointment with all of you. Can we do that? I want to make an appointment. Maybe, let's say, on the second Sabbath. All right, the first Sabbath, be getting caught up with some family. Spending time with Jesus. But on the second Sabbath, maybe about two hours after church, because remember, Jesus would probably most likely be the one preaching, but let's go and meet under the tree of life next to the river of life. Remember, there's one on each, it's on, it's on each side there, so what about on the right side as you're facing the holy city? I mean, on the right side. We can meet together, we can fellowship together.
How many of you want to make that appointment? Amen. What, how wonderful that will be. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for giving us a picture, a glimpse of what heaven will be like. Lord, we need, we need you. We need you to help us keep that into perspective that no matter what we're going through right now, heaven is our goal. Help us to keep our priorities straight. Spending time with you in eternity, our eternal salvation is what's most important. And when we get to heaven, all of the pain and sorrow that we may be suffering now or in the past will be gone. You'll wipe away all of our tears and our sorrow. Lord, you've seen everyone that's standing. Everyone that's standing wants to be with you throughout eternity. They want to be ready for that soon, for your soon coming. Help us to remember our appointment that we've made. Lord, we may... We may forget it here on this earth. But when we get to heaven, we ask that you would help to remind us. And I pray that everyone here would be there on that day. Don't let the devil distract us, turn us aside. Don't let him deceive us. Keep us, Lord, keep us safe. So we can make that appointment. Lord, there are some here who have made decisions for baptism. Lord, I pray that you would keep them in your care. There's others who need to make the decision for baptism or rebaptism. Lord, I pray that you would also help them. Help them to make the decision that you want for them. There are some who addictions are holding them back. Lord, give them the victory. In Jesus' name we pray. We love you. Amen. While you're standing, let's sing together. Beautiful song. When we all get to heaven. When we all get to heaven, I believe it's 633? 633. 633. Let's sing it. Sing it together. Amen? And then don't remember, tonight we're covering what church would Jesus join. What church would Jesus join tonight is what we're covering. You're not going to want to miss that one. See what the Bible has to say on that subject. Shut the 